Black Canary. I'll need a sparring partner. I'm Zatanna. Why do you care about some leggy dame in nylons? Or have I answered my own question? Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for match. Hello and welcome to another episode of Power of Fishnets, the Black Canary and Zatanna podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Daly, and the journey that began five months ago in Power of Fishnets episode 3 finally comes to this. Today, I am going to cover Justice League of America issue 51, otherwise known as the concluding chapter of Zatanna's search. Where has the Mistress of Magic been so far? Well, you could go back and listen to episodes 3, 5, 7, and 9 if you want the full story in detail. Or, I guess I can let you shame me into summarizing Zatanna's search up to this point. Damn you, with your big, sweet, emotional eyes, like a Disney cartoon animal. Okay, Zatanna first appeared in Hawkman issue 4. In that story, we meet the beautiful daughter of Zatara, one of the greatest magicians in the world, who had gone missing at some point between his last published Golden Age adventure and the story in Hawkman, published in 1964. Zatanna, who, like her father, can cast real magic by speaking the spells backwards, tried looking for her father in two different locations by splitting herself in two. Well, Zatanna's still pretty young at this point, and the magic doesn't work the way she wants it to. Her spirit was divided and rendered immobile until Hawkman and Hawkgirl put both parts of Zatanna together. The Hawks then used the alien technology on their spaceship to search for Zatara, but they found no trace of him, meaning the old magician, if he was still alive, was no longer on the normal plane of Earth. A few months later, Batman and Robin went up against an ugly old witch in Detective Comics 336. Yep, ugly old witch. Nothing about Zatanna there. Or so it would seem. Four months after that, Zatanna asked the Atom to shrink her down so she could search for Zatara in a microscopic world. In the Atom issue 19, the Tiny Titan helped Zatanna defeat her father's old enemy, the Druid, but they didn't find Zatara. Half a year later, Zatanna recruited Green Lantern to her cause in Green Lantern issue 42. Together, Zatanna and Green Lantern were able to thwart the villainous schemes of the evil Warlock of Yeast, who harbored an undying hatred of Zatara. This adventure, too, failed to reveal Zatara's whereabouts, but Zatanna felt like she was getting closer in her quest. Months later, Zatanna unintentionally teamed up with Ralph Dibney, the Elongated Man, in Detective Comics 355. With a few magical artifacts recovered from her encounter with Dibney, Zatanna believed the end of her search was finally in sight. Soon, she would know what happened to Zatara, and whether father and daughter could be reunited, or if it was all too late. I'm going to take a short break right now, play a promo for another fine podcast, and after that, the final installment of Zatanna's search. Don't go away.
Saturday Morning Fever, the new show from the Fire and Water Podcast Network celebrating the classic Saturday morning cartoons. Available on fireandwaterpodcast.com, iTunes, and Stitcher. Justice League of America 51 is cover dated February 1967, but according to the database on Mike's Amazing World of DC Comics, the issue went on sale December 13, 1966. That means this comic, the culmination of Zatanna's introductory story, was published over two years after her first appearance. The comic cost 12 cents when it was published. Man, 12 cents... Everything was so much better in the 1960s. We certainly didn't have all of this racial tension and violence in our society that we have today. Anyway, the cover was illustrated by Mike Sikowski and Joe Giella. It's a very striking and cool-looking cover, as long as you don't look at it too closely. And I'm going to post the cover on the Fire & Water website if you want to take a look at it. Zatanna is right up front on the cover, and she looks great. She's in the front corner in a dramatic pose. She seems to be reaching out toward Batman, who has grabbed onto her forearm. But while he clearly reached out and grabbed her, it doesn't look like Zatanna was reaching for him. More like she was gesturing toward him, like she's going to cast a spell. It almost looks defensive in nature, like she's trying to push him away. The other thing about Zatanna that makes this cover so exciting is that She's surrounded by flames. <laughs> the positioning of Zatanna and Batman is further complicated because Batman seems to be floating in midair. His right hand grips Zatanna, his left hand is cocked back and shaking like he might punch her, but I think he's trying to pull her out of the fire. Meanwhile, the elongated man stands far away from Zatanna and Batman, but stretches into the foreground so he can wrap his hands and fingers around Batman's chest. Below all three of them stands the atom on the tip of a candle, and it's the flames of this very candle that encircles Zatanna. The atom swings an axe at the candle wick, trying to snuff out the flames. Although, from the angle and the forced perspective, it also looks like he could be trying to cut the elongated man in half. There's a lot going on here, and it's kind of messy, but what I guess we're supposed to take from the cover is that Zatanna is trapped in the flames and the other heroes are all trying to save her. Batman is pulling her out, Elongated Man is supporting Batman, and the Atom is trying to kill the flame at its source. A bold yellow text box reads, Batman leads the Justice Leaguers on their greatest manhunt of all time. And at the bottom of the cover, another text box says, Surprise guest star, the Elongated Man. The story, titled Z, as in Zatanna in Zero Hour, is written by Gardner Fox, penciled by Mike Sikowski, inked by Sid Green, and lettered by Ira Schnapp. The story is divided into three chapters. The splash page shows Zatanna under siege. A horde of otherworldly monsters, cast in equally otherworldly green light, have the Mistress of Magic cornered. The monsters include a minotaur with bells on his horns, a frog monster, various lizard men, and a sort of pharaoh-looking guy. Along the left-hand side of the page, we get the roll call, typical of Justice League of America comics. The team in this issue includes The Atom, Batman, Green Lantern, Hawkman, and guest starring the elongated man, who was not part of the Justice League at this point in its history. At the top of the page, we get a caption box summarizing Zatanna's search so far for anyone who hadn't read her appearances in other comics before this issue, or anyone who wasn't a fan of this podcast. 
for most of her young life. The caption reads, Zatanna has been hunting on Earth as well as on dimensional and magical worlds for her missing magician father, Zatara. Now, at last, she discovers where he is, only to become, when she goes there, the target of awesome magical forces that threaten her very life. Part 1 begins at the headquarters of the Justice League of America, which is empty until a voice calls out from a crystal ball in the trophy room. I namas nirgnretnal, I lak no mota dna nam tab, nam quad ne editagnole nam. If you've listened to this podcast before, or you know anything about how Zatanna's powers work, you know that she just cast a spell by speaking backwards, and the spell she cast summons Green Lantern, the Atom, Batman, Hawkman, and the Elongated Man to the JLA headquarters. The five heroes question how they suddenly appeared together, what would summon them when the League's emergency signal didn't go off, and why the Elongated Man is there given he's not part of the team. The answer to all of these questions appears in a puff of smoke as Zatanna, the princess of prestidigitation, says she wants to thank them all in person for helping her find her father, the missing Zatara. But wait, you may be thinking, and you wouldn't be alone. Green Lantern and Hawkman are quick to point out that they didn't actually find Zatara. Hawkman recalls saving Zatanna in China, the Atom helped her in the land of the Druid, Green Lantern helped her defeat the Warlock of Yeast, and most recently, the Elongated Man fought alongside her in a magical prop shop. For his part, Batman is quick to remind Zatanna that he has never helped her. In fact, he says he's never met or seen her before now. But Zatanna insists that the five of them did help her, and she pulls Green Lantern and Batman in for a big, mushy hug that causes even the Dark Knight himself to smile. Actually, Batman smiles quite a bit in this issue. Times sure were different before DC fixed on the idea that Batman has to be a humorless psychopath. Anyway, the heroes ask Zatanna to explain why she's so appreciative of something none of them remembered doing. Zatanna recounts how her search for Zatara led her to an antique shop in Vienna. There, she found the fabled Sword of Paracelsus, a Swiss-German physician and occultist from the 15th century. Zatanna recognizes her father's mystical aura on the sword. She knows that Zatara had contact with it at some point. So she casts a spell demanding the sword tell her what it knows about her father. A woman's face appears in the hilt of the sword and tells Zatanna that Zatara used this very sword to defeat his last great enemy, the same malevolent being who trapped him in a far-off dimension. The woman in the sword identifies herself as Allura, an elemental bound to the sword. She offers to lead Zatanna to her father if Zatanna would only use her magic transferring Allura's essence from the sword to Zatanna herself. To perform the spell, Zatanna needs the Ting Tripod and the I Ching Book, both of these she acquired during her last appearance with Elongated Man in Detective Comics 355. When the spell is cast, Allura separates from the sword as a billowing smoke that Zatanna inhales, making her the Elemental's new host. Immediately after Allura's spirit enters Zatanna's body, they travel to the fantastic realm of Karma. That's Karma spelled K-H-A-R-M-A. It's a land of trippy colors, nasty-looking trees, and even nastier-looking monsters, for as soon as she arrives, a horde of beastmen of Belphegor rush towards her. Now, you're probably thinking, okay, Zatanna just inhaled some weird smoke, and now she's in this weird fantasy realm. You could draw some kind of conclusion from that, 
but it's a Silver Age story. I think we can take it at face value. Alura tells Zatanna to defend herself with her magic, which Zatanna probably could have thought of on her own. She speaks the spell backwards, Sirt pur gimsiof, skor ritad met. And with the power of her magic, the trees grip her foes and rocks begin to batter the beasts. Next, Zatanna summons a whirlwind to blow the beast men away. But what she doesn't realize is that somewhere else in the land of Karma, a different set of magical hands weave a counterspell, intent on foiling Zatanna's search. With the power of this unseen magician backing them, the beastmen of Belphegor overwhelm Zatanna's whirlwind defenses. In desperation, Zatanna thinks of the valiant heroes who helped her over the last couple of years. She calls the Atom, Hawkman, and Green Lantern to come fight for her. The three heroes appear beside Zatanna just as a minotaur with bells attached to his horns charges. Green Lantern tries to throw a green energy projection at the beast, but his power ring doesn't work. The Atom launches himself forward, and even at his diminished size, throws his increased mass into the punch, knocking the Minotaur away from Zatanna. Green Lantern tries his ring again, and this time he successfully throws green energy at more of the attacking Beastmen. Hawkman grabs one by the tail and swings it around its cohorts. A fierce battle ensues where savage Beastmen attack, only to be repulsed by the heroic defenses of the Justice Leaguers. Zatanna clarifies that these are not the true Adam, Hawkman, and Green Lantern, but rather magical counterparts that she was able to conjure based on her connection to the real men. During the battle, Zatanna casts enchantments that aid the heroes until that last, all of the beasts have been felled. Zatanna praises her friends, or rather the magical simulacrums of her friends, for their efforts and leads them forth to find Zatara. Little does she realize that the unseen force commanding the beasts was, in fact, her father. Dun dun dun! We see Zatara conjuring new spells, intent on keeping Zatanna away. For if he fails, if his daughter reaches him, it will lead to disaster. Dun dun dun! Again! That is where part one ends, and I'm going to stop there for a moment to give a few thoughts on this first section. The framing of this story, the whole structure of it, is very Silver Agey, which is almost another way of saying it is too complicated by half. Why can't the story be a normal, linear adventure? Why does Zatanna have to be telling the story to the Justice Leaguers who don't remember if they were there in the first place? Oh, but that's right, they weren't real. They were magical duplicates. Well, that is both stupid and unnecessary, and it sucks all of the tension out of those scenes too. I do want to come back to this point at the end of the story, but up until this point, I am liking the story well enough so far, but I'd be liking it better if I wasn't constantly asking Gardner Fox, why are you doing it this way? Two other notes. There is a penciling mistake on the last panel of page 6. When Zatanna calls for backup, initially she only calls for the Atom, Green Lantern, and Hawkman. Yet in the panel where Green Lantern unsuccessfully tries to use his power ring, we see Batman standing with them. He shouldn't be in the Land of Karma. Yet. My last note is not a problem, but rather an unfortunate reality of gender politics in superhero comics of this era. There's someone missing from the assembled heroes who was vital to Zatanna's search in her very first appearance, Hawkgirl. We get plenty of Hawkman, but not his wife. There is no story reason given for why Hawkgirl is not summoned by Zatanna as well. 
The reason is simply that DC did not put more than one woman on the Justice League at any given time, cross-dimensional team-ups notwithstanding, for 17 years after the book was created. Despite this being a Justice League of America book, there's no sign of Wonder Woman, and the second woman to officially join the team, Black Canary, didn't come aboard until Wonder Woman left the team. Even in later issues of JLA that I'll cover on future episodes, when Zatanna guests appeared with the team, Black Canary was curiously absent for those adventures. It's sad that until about 1977, the Justice League didn't exclude women, just women. Alright, let's get back to the story. Z, as in Zatanna in Zero Hour Part 2, begins with the caption, From the realm of shade and shadow, Zatara summoned up his ancient enemy, Amenhotep, necromancer of the land of the Nile, evil Egyptian wizard whom long ago Zatara defeated. Zatara, dressed in his fine tuxedo, stands in a room filled with candles and runic symbols. Out of the billowing smoke called forth by the Master Magician is an old guy dressed like the Grand Vizier of an Egyptian pharaoh. He looks very, very white, though, so he must be from the same casting agency that handled the movie Gods of Egypt. In the same way Zatanna summoned magic duplicates of her friends, Zatara calls one of his bitter enemies, Amenhotep. He casts backwards-talking spells that sets Amenhotep on the mission of halting Zatanna's progress using the magic in his old parchments. As Zatanna leads the three heroes across the desert plains of Karma, Amenhotep appears as a hundred-foot-tall giant. He unravels one of his scrolls, revealing images of glyphs on the parchment. With a booming voice, Amenhotep says, Figures painted, figures real, figures from this parchment steel. Fight these three, your newfound foes, bring them loss and bring them woes. With that incantation, the images pour off the parchment with deadly intent. Ancient infantry soldiers, charioteers, and even winged Baz attack the superheroes. Hawkman overturns one of the chariots before the driver can reach Zatanna. Green Lantern attacks a Ba with his ring, but once again, the energy fails for some reason, so Green Lantern just punches the thing in the face. And the Atom merely bounces from one enemy chin to the next, instantaneously changing his size and mass to mow down the Egyptian soldiers. Things look good at first, but Amenhotep has a lot of scrolls. He unravels them, sending wave after wave of new enemies until finally their numbers begin to overwhelm the heroes. Zatanna wonders how long they can hold out, and Allura, the elemental spirit still riding shotgun in her body, says not for long. The old wizard throws some of his scrolls down, and the parchments wrap around Zatanna, binding her. Allura shouts for Zatanna to flee and save them both. Instead, Zatanna doubles down on her strategy by summoning duplicates of Batman and the Elongated Man. At this point, the real Batman, who's still in the Justice League headquarters listening to the story, interrupts Zatanna to say what we are all thinking. Batman and Zatanna never met before. What connection did they have that would allow her to bring him to Karma like she brought the others? It's at this point that Gardner Fox performs a retcon on the story from Detective Comics 336. Zatanna tells Batman that the ugly old witch he and Robin tussled with in that story was really Zatanna in disguise. This is why that issue of Detective Comics was considered Zatanna's Search Part 2, and why this one, despite being only the fifth time we've seen Zatanna, is considered Zatanna's Search Part 6. So... 
Based on that preposterous but official explanation, Zatanna summoned the magical counterpart of Batman, who rips the smothering papyrus parchment off of Zatanna and the magical counterpart of the elongated man, who stretches his arm way up, way up in the air and punches Amenhotep. Even without the ancient wizard, more enemies pour out of the scrolls. The heroes engage in the furious battle to protect Zatanna, who continues to offer encouragement but no other actual assistance. Then, abruptly, Batman stops fighting and tells the other Justice Leaguers to let their enemies have Zatanna. Thinking the Dark Knight has gone crazy or defected somehow, Hawkman and the Atom are ready to throw down against the Caped Crusader. Batman asks them to recall the bells on the horns of the bull they fought earlier. He mentions the rolls of parchment that Amenhotep used, scrolls that are basically a book by their standards. Then Batman tells the others to look at the sun in this world. But the sun is not some stellar body, it's a candle, a giant magical candle that gives light and heat to the land. All of the sudden, the others seem hip to Batman's line. Bell, book, and candle, the three objects needed to exorcise a demon from someone's soul. The detective reasons there must be a demon inside Zatanna, and based on that hunch, the heroes allow Zatanna to be grabbed and carried off by the enemies, despite her screams of protest and pain. And that is where part two ends. Okay, the first note is the Batman reveal. Zatanna never met Batman. She never appeared in a Batman story. Go back and read Detective Comics 336, that which is so clearly not Zatanna. But Gardner Fox needed another hero to guest star in the story. The thing is, Batman's purpose in this story is to figure out the clues and deduce that whoever is putting up these magical obstacles is trying to fight a demon inside Zatanna, you know, like a detective would. Granted, Batman is the world's greatest detective, but Ralph Dibney, the elongated man, is second or third on that list. He should have been able to solve that mystery too, and he already had an established connection to Zatanna. If they needed a fifth hero to join the story, again, Hawk Girl. But they went with Batman because they needed an A-list hero, and I guess even in the 60s, Batman was a good marketing tool. Wait, what am I saying? This was published in 1966, the same year as the Adam West television show debuted. Of course Batman was the best marketing tool. The explanation for why Batman appears in the story is more than a little contrived. I mean, it's stupidly. But I like Batman, so I'm kind of willing to forgive it. Honestly, what bothers me more is that, like with the absence of Hawkgirl, we don't get Robin in this story. If Zatanna met Batman, she also met the boy Wonder. Why doesn't Robin get to guest star in the story? Don't say it's because he wasn't part of the Justice League of America, because neither was Elongated Man at this point. A few other notes about this section. Zatara summons the spirit of Amenhotep to help him fight. A casual reader might not think anything of this, but this was an example of Gardner Fox doing his homework, because this was not Amenhotep's only appearance in comics. He had previously appeared way, way back in 1938 in the pages of Action Comics number 5. He wasn't a forgotten Superman villain, though. Back then, Action Comics was an anthology title with eight different stories, the last of which starred Zatara in a story called The Egyptian Wizard. So Gardner Fox went back into Zatara's own history to establish a villain with continuity that could function in this story. And it's really cool. The Amenhotep section is awesome. He looks scary. He looks like Abe Vigoda, actually. Well, or Boris Karloff. Maybe more like Boris Karloff, because there is the pharaoh-mummy connection, after all. 
I still see Abe Vigoda. I still see Abe Vigoda wherever I look. That's just me. My last note on this section, which is a complaint that I will revisit after I finish the story, is that Zatanna doesn't do anything with her magic other than call the Justice Leaguers to fight for her. It's a big letdown after we've seen her grow in character and in power levels over the last couple of chapters. She doesn't cast spells against her enemies, she doesn't put up shields or defenses, she's not proactive. She calls on the magical simulacrums of some dudes to do the action stuff while she stands back and cheers them on rah-rah style. Will that turn around in the climactic part of the story? Let us find out. Part 3 of Z as in Zatanna in Zero Hour begins with a large vertical panel of the evil forces from the parchment throwing Zatanna into the flames of a giant candle that serves as the sun. Zatanna says she felt no heat from the flames, but the candle definitely hurt Allura, who screams in agony. On the ground below, the heroes witness this and deduce that Allura must be some kind of demon, and that is what the enemy forces have been attacking all along. As the spirit of Allura is expelled from Zatanna's body, the malevolent elemental is attacked by another version of Allura. But where the evil Allura was dark-haired and violet-eyed, this new version of Allura is blue-eyed and fair-haired, and therefore good. As the two Alluras fight, Hawkman rescues Zatanna from the candle. She asks the heroes to intervene on the part of the good Allura, but they refuse, insisting that this is a battle Allura must win for herself. After a long battle of hair-pulling, girly-slapping, and pillow-fighting, I imagine, the good Allura emerges victorious. Good Allura compels her evil self to lift the curse she long ago placed on the great Zatara, and, under duress, the sexy evil Allura removes the curse. Then, at long last, I saw my father, Zatanna recalls for the heroes. For the first time in twenty long and lonely years, I saw his face before me. Zatara the Magician appears from a teleportation portal. Zatanna races into his open arms, and father and daughter share a tender, teary-eyed embrace. Zatara explains how he came to be in the realm of karma, and why he sent magical beasts to stop Zatanna from finding him. The evil Allura was his enemy. Zatara finally defeated her in battle, casting her spirit into the Sword of Paracelsus. But her final defiant act was to cast a spell on the magician. From hence you shall not see your kin, nor speak to her, let curse begin. No sight, no sound shall you then have, else curse shall take you to the grave. That doesn't rhyme, idiot. So if Zatara ever saw his daughter, or even communicated with her indirectly, he would die. Not wanting to take the chance, he exiled himself from Earth, all whilst searching for Allura's noble counterpart that she might lift the curse. He finally found her in Karma, but the good Allura could not leave the realm, and Zakara could not lure evil Allura there without risking his daughter's life. At the same time, coincidentally, or perhaps fatefully, Zatanna came to Karma with the evil Allura. Zatara was able to use the magic of the bell, book, and candle to cast the evil elemental out of his daughter, and good Allura defeated her wicked duplicate. That seems to wrap up the father-daughter reunion, but the magical double of Green Lantern has one last question. Why didn't his power ring work on the Minotaur with the bells? Zatara makes up some bullshit about the sound of bells being on the same magical frequency as the color yellow, which is Green Lantern's one weakness. It is stupid, and I don't understand why that was even part of this story. Moving on. We jump back to the relative present of the story, with Zatanna having explained to the members of the Justice League why she thanked them for their help. 
Batman is smiling too happily, almost like he's trying to convince Zatanna that he liked her story, while inside he really doesn't believe a single word of it. Green Lantern, on the other hand, is all too eager to take credit for the team's victory, despite the fact that it wasn't really them that did anything. Before the story ends, Zatanna says, Rata Freyapa, and her father appears. Zatara thanks the heroes for helping his daughter. What is next for the magician and his girl? For now, they have a lot of catching up to do. But maybe someday, the Justice League of America will meet Zatanna and Zatara again. Okay, first a quick observation slash criticism of what feels like a continuity mistake. When they're first reunited, Zatanna says that this is the first time she's seen her father in 20 long and lonely years. 20 years? Her first appearance said it had been years, but not 20 years since they were together. Zatanna is barely over 20 years old at this point. That would imply she has had no real relationship with her father at all. Does she even remember him? And that's not like the real-time disappearance. They come together on Halloween night 1966, which is cool, by the way. That's awesome. But Zatara had appeared in comics in the 1950s. That 20 years bit feels like a throwaway line that is meant to sound more dramatic and give the story more weight, but it actually doesn't make any sense. And something else that doesn't make sense to me. If Zatanna created the magical counterparts of the heroes, why do they not obey her? She tells them to help good Allura defeat evil Allura, and Hawkman refuses, saying that it's something good Allura has to do by herself. How does this Hawkman know that? How does he have the control and awareness to refuse a command from Zatara unless she doesn't control them? Which she obviously does not, which forces me to bring up the same question as before. Why the hell are these magical counterparts of the heroes and not the real deal? I hate this part of the story. It's unnecessary. We don't need Zatanna to tell our heroes what happened. Show us what happened. That would give the story more urgency and more stakes because as the story is written right now, we know what happens. We know Zatanna is reunited with Zatara and that everything works out just great from the second page of the story. You could skip the rest and move on to Justice League of America issue 52. I also hate how passive Zatanna is in this story. There are two full-page splash panels during fight scenes, and in both cases, Zatanna is the calm force in the middle with her hands clasped together while everything around her is violent chaos. She only uses her magic twice, both to summon backup. This is the conclusion, this is the final chapter. Everything Zatanna has worked for has been building up to this moment, and what happens? The Justice League fights for her. Her father fights for her. Some elemental spirit that we've never heard of before fights for her. She herself does not fight. She only narrates. Zatanna has barely any agency in this story at all, to the point where she's almost irrelevant. As an issue of Justice League of America, the story is fine. You get some familiar heroes, plus some guest appearances from Elongated Man and Zatanna and Zatara. You get your heroes acting bravely and heroically in this surreal, out-of-time story, but as the climax of Zatanna's search, this story does everything to undermine how powerful Zatanna had become and how important this moment was for her. She doesn't save the day. She isn't instrumental in saving her father and bringing him back into the world. She becomes a liability, and everyone else has to protect her. 
I made the point several episodes ago that in just about two years after the story was published, Wonder Woman would leave the Justice League, and they would need to recruit a new female member. Zatanna would have been a perfect candidate waiting in the wings, but Denny O'Neill brought Black Canary over from Earth 2. Not that I'm knocking that decision, as I do love Black Canary, after all. But just imagine if a character with Zatanna's magic had been allowed to join the team this early on in its history. The history of the Justice League of America and Zatanna herself might look very different and much more interesting and proactive and important in DC's canon. This podcast would surely be different. So, yeah, that's it. That is the end of Zatanna's search. This concluding chapter was a fun, fairly exciting story for the JLA, but not so much for the hero that we have been following along for five chapters. She did look good drawn by Mike Sikowski, though. I'll give it that. Okay, we are going to take another promo break, and then I'll be back for listener feedback, and then I will tell you where this podcast goes from here. Hey, Mike. Okay, Paul. What you doing? Um, uh, waiting. Waiting for what? Uh, Doom Patrol to, to come back. Doom Patrol. Negative Man. Elastigirl. Robot Man. Someone wants the Doom Patrol reunited. Mind if I wait with you? Uh, sure, sure, yeah. Hey, Mike. Yeah, yeah Paul. Um, can we talk while we wait? <laughs> um, sure. Um, uh, what what shall we talk about, Paul? Uh, Doom Patrol. Yeah. Okay. Waiting for Doom, a Doom Patrol podcast weekly on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and Podbean.com. Hope it's not too long away. Well done, my Doom Patrol. Well done. It is too late for you, Caldell. Your beloved patrol is doomed. All right. I got some great feedback on episode 9, where I talked about Zatanna meeting the elongated man in Detective Comics 355. Dr. Ange from the Supergirl blog Comic Box Commentary left the first comment on the website post. Ange said... I think this is a transition point for Carmine Infantino. It isn't the clean, early Black Canary Infantino. It isn't the stiff, rough, late Infantino we saw in the early 80s. It is right in the middle, a sort of sweet spot. I definitely like how Zatanna looks here. Thanks for covering. Thank you for saying so, Ange. Uh, staying on the topic of Infantino's art on the last chapter, Rob Kelly from the Aquaman Shrine and the Pod Dylan podcast asked if this was Carmine Infantino inking himself. I believe so, because he's the only credited artist on the story. If someone else went over his pencils, that name isn't listed anywhere that I can find. Nathaniel Wayne from the Council of Geeks and the most recent episode of Rob's Film and Water podcast, talking about the original Ghostbusters, which is an excellent episode, you must listen to that. Nathaniel said, I love the art on Elongated Man, but I'm a little more iffy on some of the other work in this. It's not bad, but it doesn't sit quite as well. I think it might be because Elongated Man's power set makes it completely forgivable if his face gets the occasional odd angle or asymmetric feature going on in any given panel. But then I see Zatanna's face in that third panel she appears in, or the faces of the thieves two panels previously, and it's just off-putting. She looks great elsewhere, but those sorts of little oddities work for elongated man himself, but not when it spills over to others. I can understand that for the image of Zatanna in the third panel, but I love the look of the two thieves in the first panel, framed by her fishnetted legs. I think the stylized, asymmetrical faces work for them a lot. 
Uh, Chris Franklin from the Supermates podcast said, I'm going to be the naysayer here who prefers Carmine a bit more reined in than what we're seeing here. I love his layouts, but I've never been a fan of his sketchy comic art. But that's just me. Well, not just you. I think Nathaniel Wayne is kind of on the same wavelength. I love Roy Orbison's Mystery Girl, Chris says, and all things Orbison, honestly, and had it pegged for a Starman Chronicle segment way down the road, but it suits Zatanna better. Great choice. And then Paul Hicks from the Waiting for Doom podcast said he was looking forward to Chris's future Roy Pottison podcast, to which Chris said that he first had to do his Johnny Podcast show first, which is an amazing title. I love that so much. The amount of fodder that Rob's Pod Dylan show generates just in parody name ideas is astounding. We are living in amazing times, people. Getting back to Paul Hicks, he asked if I'd ever considered the Waiting for Doom coverage model where I cycle around between different eras of Zatanna stories. Not for Zatanna. Uh, If this show were more regular, like if it was going to be a weekly podcast with every episode talking about a Zatanna story, I could do that, but that's never been the intention. From the start, I wanted to approach the Zatanna episodes more or less like an indexing show, that is, cover her appearances in chronological order based on when they were published. The thing about that approach is she was in about 20 comics before she joined the Justice League, and when she joined the League, she changed costumes. She was no longer in the fishnets, so I was going to stop at that point because, A, I'm not going to cover every issue of Justice League of America that Zatanna appears in. Though I do plan to cover a few, like right after she joins the team, there's this multi-part story that focuses on her mother and the homo magi. I will get to that. And B, fishnets is the operative word. I want to spend most of my time covering stories when she's dressed like that. Getting back to her first 20 appearances before she joined the team, some of those are like one-page cameos in a 20-page Superman story. I am not going to give that the same amount of coverage as a normal story, so I might cruise through some of those appearances faster. Once I do, once I get through her early fishnet appearances, then I might do more bouncing around. I would like to cover the ongoing series that Paul Dini wrote a couple of years ago. I don't know if I'll do that whole run in order or if I'll bop around. I guess you'll have to wait and see because it depends on how I'm feeling. I got a comment from Martin Gray who runs the blog Too Dangerous for a Girl. Martin asked, When you said, so how did Ralph and Zatanna come together, was that a cheeky nod to that horrible miniseries? I don't know what miniseries you're talking about, Martin. I I, Honestly, seriously, I I must be missing something. Uh, And the last comment came from Bradley Null, who was my guest on the Secret Origins podcast when I covered The Elongated Man. Bradley says, My two favorite satellite-era, not-yet-JLA members meet for the first time. This is, not surprisingly, my favorite chapter in the Zatanna search trade. It's quick and fun, kind of like this comment. Indeed. Well, short is better than nothing, Bradley. Thank you, and thank you to everyone who left a comment on the Fire & Water podcast website. Thanks to everyone who liked and shared this episode on Facebook. Thanks to all of the retweets on Twitter. Everyone who supports this show, you are all awesome. That is all for this episode of Power of Fishnets, and that is all for Zatanna Search. She found her dad! Hooray! But the trade paperback Zatanna Search included one more chapter, an origin story written by Jerry Conway and illustrated by Romeo Tengal. Even though that story wasn't published until the 1970s originally, I'm going to cover it on the next special episode, along with the origin of Black Canary in a story also written by Jerry Conway. It's going to be crazy. Look for that episode in two weeks. Until then, 
Power of Fishnets is a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Feedback for the show can be left at fireandwaterpodcast.com or the Power of Fishnets Facebook page. You can also find me on Twitter at Black Canary Fan, or you can send an email to ourdailypodcast at gmail.com. Power of Fishnets is not affiliated with DC Comics, and the views expressed on the show belong solely to the speaker. All music, audio clips, and quoted text are used for entertainment purposes and believed covered under fair use, and since I make no money off of this podcast, no copyright infringement is intended. Thanks for listening, and Eva Aisin Yad.